Good morning. It's really good to be with you all on this Lord's Day morning. I want to note a couple of things for you to mark your calendars about. Uh, the one big one is coming up uh, in April. Um, Riley, when is the spring sing? April 23rd. I was about to say that, and I was like, oh, I'm going to get this wrong. (laughs) April 23rd is our spring sing. It's a a Saturday afternoon. One of our favorite things that we're so excited to get back to after several years hiatus with the COVID stuff and everything, um, something we used to do every year, a spring sing where we invite all of our neighbors and other Christians, uh, anybody that uh, that wants to come, to, to come together and sing hymns for an afternoon, old standards, classics that you love, some new ones, and so that'll be a wonderful uh, afternoon, and we've already started passing out flyers to our neighborhood, and I, I know a lot of others are passing out some of those small slips and some big big sheets we have out there. There's uh, graphics you can share on social media or, or email to people. So really encourage you to uh, plan on that. And then uh, two Sundays from today, which is Easter, um, I want to encourage you. This is sometimes an opportunity to invite people that may not otherwise usually come to uh, a church gathering. Uh, a lot of people, maybe they're twice a year kind of people. And uh, I want to let you know we're going to be focusing the service uh, around the Lord's Supper. That is, I'll, I'll be uh, giving the sermon as the Lord's Supper talk. And we'll be speaking the gospel, simple gospel sermon uh, about Christ's death and, and his resurrection. And um, preparing our minds to focus in on that. And so I wanted you to know that that would be a great opportunity for someone in your life that maybe hasn't heard the, the whole gospel story told to them, to come in and learn more about Jesus and hear how, we, how they can be saved by the Lord. Our theme this year is train up a child. And uh, we started this, um, this class this week, um, today, called Why Do We? And there aren't any young people really in, I mean, I'm sorry for those that are, consider themselves young, but there aren't any teenagers for sure in there, or younger kids, but it's the kind of class that, um, the kind of questions that I want our kids to know the answers to, because kids are always asking, why do we? Why do we do this, and why do we do that, why do we need to do these different things? And... We find this example in uh, the scriptures, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 20, where the passage that JT read earlier, where Moses gives a, a quote, or at least an outline of something, an answer, that parents are supposed to give to their kids. When an Israelite kid asks, why do we have... All these rules. What is the meaning of these statutes and these commandments? There is a particular answer that Moses says for them to give. What is the meaning of these things? I don't think they're asking for an exegesis, an explanation of all 613 commands. They're asking, what's the point? What is this all about? And that is the kind of question you really need to know the answer to. 
I imagine that growing up in an Israelite household is similar in a lot of ways to growing up in a Christian household. For instance, you have a lot of rules that your family follows that the people around you, all these Gentiles, don't follow. They seem to be getting on just fine doing whatever feels good to them. But we follow a different standard. Why is that? What's the big deal? Is it a big deal? And so, as JT read, Moses says, When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. What? What does that have to do with the commandments? And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Yeah, but what about, what about the commandments? I'll get to that. I'll get to that. Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves. The Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and Pharaoh and his household before our eyes. Okay, Dad, seriously, you're just not going to answer, right? You're just going to keep going. You've got a story you want to tell. You have a prepared answer. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we're careful to do all this commandment. If we're careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. You know, there's some moments as parents... Call them teaching moments where you get asked a question. Like, ah, okay, this is important. Or maybe there's a moment in a, a, a drama, a relationship drama that's playing out between your kid and somebody else, and you say, okay, I have their attention, and this is a moment they need to learn something. This is a moment I need to slow down. And that's the kind of question that this is. Sometimes, whenever we get a straight question, we want to take a detour. Sometimes it's time to, to slow down and say, let's take the long way home. I want to tell you some other things that you need to know before I get to the direct answer to the question. Because the question was, what's the deal, if it was Jerry Seinfeld talking, what's the deal with these statutes and commandments? But he didn't answer, what's the deal with these statutes and commandments? He didn't talk about the law. He said he wanted you to talk about, first, the law giver. First comes the creator, and then comes the commandments. First comes the redeemer, and then you can learn to be righteous before him. But you have to know the Lord to really know the law. There have been times, I have to admit to you, that I have had more of a relationship with the commandments than with Jesus. There have been times where I, I knew the book, I knew the rules, I could really focus in on it, but I, I didn't really have a relationship where I, was, I wasn't talking to God. I wasn't thinking about that from a from a day-to-day standpoint. I wasn't listening for him to really lead my life. I, I was just interested in, in the commandments. 
Now you have to, the commandments, the word of God is our access point to know God. But the point isn't to know the commandments. The point is to know God and through his word and through these things that he teaches us and says, this is the way to live. I'm going to protect you in this. I'm going to show you righteousness in this way to live. That is part of knowing him. But before this Israelite dad is, or mom, is to explain, is to tell him about the commandments. He says, tell him about the Lord. And tell him about the Lord the way we tell most things in life. By telling a story. You want to know about this person? Let me tell you, let me introduce them to you by telling you how we met. And tell you the impact they've had on my life. And tell you the things that I know about them. And so he says, tell the story of redemption. Because that's when your identity changed. Whenever we're asked a question like this, and as I thought about this, I was thinking, okay, when your son asks you, okay, my son is Asher. What do I need to say? I'm, I'm preparing this lesson to Asher. What do I need to say whenever I'm asked, why don't we do those things that they do? Why do we live differently? And it starts like this. I was a slave to sin. I was, I was so lost. I was, I was like drowning in my lostness. I was, um, I was lost in my confusion, in my shame, in my personal failure, and my frustration with myself, and in my fear of death, and in my aimlessness. I was so lost And I was so enslaved. And then Jesus did something. Jesus changed my whole story. He changed who I am. He came with a mighty hand. He lived the way I always want to but never could. And then he died instead of me dying. And then he rose again and he showed that you don't have to be afraid of death. I'm ruling over that too. And he started to change my life. And it didn't happen like that. But all of a sudden I had hope. And I had something that I was living for. And I had someone that I wanted to follow to the wall, someone that I believed in, someone that was truly good. As we sang, as as Michael um, led us in that song, that uh, song about your heart is my heart. This, This change came from this relationship where I became someone different. And that's where we have to start if we're going to talk about why we do things different. We have to start with, we are different now. We are different not because I made this decision, though I did, but because God first made a decision 
that could allow a change to happen in me. I mean, because if they don't, if our kids, if anybody we're talking to, if I don't get the, that the gospel is the beginning of everything, the Bible is not first and foremost and primarily about the, the book of the rules of how to live. It's first and foremost how God brings us back. It's the story of him saving us. And in order to be saved and changed, we, he, he has to make us holy. Make us, he has to show us the way that is good for us to live. The way of righteousness that we can be with him. About a year ago, I studied with a young man. A young man, he, um, he knew everything. I mean, by the time he came in, he already pretty much knew what he needed to, to know. But we, we went through some passages, and he really knew what he needed to do to be saved. And he wanted it. He wanted to be a Christian. And I tried at first not, not pressuring him, just helping him think through it, and then as he kept not wanting to act, I started to be more, you know, there is nothing in your way. What is holding you back? It is time. Jesus will save you today. And he was stuck in this idea that he needed to get his life righteous before he could be saved. I need to change my habits first and I want to pray more and there's there's more praying that like I need to have this regular pattern of that and there's I need to change the way I think about some things and I I want to have a, you don't understand I can be better and I want to be better and I kept telling him that is not how it works You are saved by grace through faith You will be changed And God will forgive you of your sins. They will be washed away in those waters of baptism. And then you'll start learning and you'll start growing. And step by step, you'll get closer and closer to where you want to be. But what we see here, he wants, there's this this path to what the commandments are about. But redemption comes before righteousness. And this is so important for us to get. And for us to be able to teach our kids. Yes, the the Israelites had to trust God enough to walk through the water. Walk through that Red Sea. And you do too. But it was not them that saved themselves. And, And the Red Sea came long before Mount Sinai. And the path that they were walking in, they had to learn after they were God's redeemed people. They started to be sanctified into the ways that he wanted them to live. God's grace motivates an utterly different kind of change in us than our desperation to measure up outside of Christ and his loving sacrifice. It's just, it's just utterly different. What grace does, when we really get it, that we are saved in our weakness, in our failure, in our, in our, honestly, our awfulness in the way we rejected what God wanted. Not that we're worthless to Him. We're very, 
we're, we're so dear and important to him. But that doesn't mean we're worthy or we ever will be worthy of it, of what he's doing. And so Paul is told in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 to 10, that my power is made perfect in weakness and my grace is sufficient for you. And he's not talking there specifically about salvation. He's talking about life and dealing with struggles and dealing with trials and everything that we deal with. We have to get Jesus' grace is enough. And that will change your parenting. That will change your parenting when you get... Because, man, if there's one thing that all Christian parents have in common that I know, myself included, is, boy, we have high expectations for ourselves and for our kids. And that's, that's good. It's good. Have, have high expectations. But don't forget that God is there with a grace whenever, whenever we fail, whenever our kids fail with a grace that redeems us and changes us. This is the story we start with before we get to the commandments. Does that make sense? It's so important. It's so important. Because it's scary to walk out on the tightrope of looking at yourself honestly and seeing all that you're not quite what you thought you were. And most people just won't do it. Unless they know, unless we know, we embrace the gospel and know that wasn't what saved us anyways. God's grace is there like a net below that tightrope that gives us courage to step out and see ourselves. So when we see ourselves clearly, we can turn to God again and again, turn to him. And he always receives us when we turn to him honestly and say, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry I wasn't what I needed to be. I want to be your way now. Be patient with me again. The gospel is the start. Always the start of what we want to talk about, not the law. Then we want to teach why these things matter. You know, you think of Daniel's son. We've all been there where we're doing things, we're painting the fence, we have no idea why we're doing it, right? We're waxing, waxing on. I know this is an old... Middle-aged white guy reference, right? <laughs> One of my favorite movies from the 80s. He, he would whack, Daniel-san would wax on and wax off. All these chores he was told to do, and he was really learning karate. But he didn't understand it, and it felt like busy work. And sometimes that's the way it is. Sometimes we just have to be patient. But when your whole life is just a series of because I said so, and I'll tell you when you're older, our kids can't make their faith their own. They can't understand to discern the principles God wants to guide them. And so we water down the answers and don't give the why. And we say what to do, but we don't say why it's important. And you can't grow that way. And they can't step up and become who they're meant to be. I remember growing up, and always having these, I mean, it's like there's 10 of these different books I've seen, but, but they were all kind of were the same, the, the teenage books of the Bible study guides. And, and they would talk about um, what not to do. They would talk about, 
you know, uh, how long your shorts should be, but they wouldn't give the principles of what orderly propriety, modesty is about, or what, what nakedness, what is the idea of nakedness anyways? And what is, what is the idea of radically taking responsibility for my influence and impact on other people and all these principles that, that should affect all of the things we do? Uh, you know, you'd hear things like that I'd never, terms I'd never heard, like heavy petting and mixed bathing, you know, and I didn't know what those were, but, but these are, are things that we should think about. But we have to teach the principle and then make the application. Teach about sensuality. Teach about being led by keeping in step with the spirit rather than being enslaved to the flesh and putting discerning wise guardrails up. Teach about you know, the importance of how we choose things the, the truth, the guiding truths that God wants planted in our hearts to bless our journey for our good always. Just need to be willing to explain the whole picture. They can take it, and what they're not quite ready for, they'll get there. But then we do need to explain how. How to keep the word. How we obey. Moses says... And it will be righteousness for us. It says to fear the Lord our God, and it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he commanded us. Interesting thing about doing things fearfully. Did you know there is something in the Bible where it says God does something fearfully? It's a weird thing. It's in Psalm 139 where David says, and you guys know this verse, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, what's he saying there? Surely God isn't crouching in a panicked terror as he's making David or any baby in the womb as he's creating. No, it's saying He puts great care into it as something that truly matters. So it's expressed as being fearfully done. We fear our God. Not just fear him before we're saved, but we we walk in the fear of God. But that is not panicked terror. We are aware that he will judge us. We are aware that when we, when we serve before him, when we come before him, he is the holy creator that has infinite power. But we come before him in a reverent awe that changes how we do everything, recognizing that he is God and there is none other. And so David says, we must be careful to do all this commandment. And this, this isn't the kind of language that's just in, in the Old Testament. We find this, this kind of care given throughout all the people that you would want to imitate, give incredible care 
to what they do as they've served the Lord. We see David praying at the end of Psalm 19, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We see Jesus, the great example, saying, I always do what you command because I love you. There's no closer relationship than Jesus and the Father. And it's at its foundation is this relationship of obedience. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, at the end of 26 and 27, that he buffets his body and makes it his slave, lest after he's preached to others, he himself should be disqualified. He's, he's putting the care in. He says in Philippians 2, verse 12, to fearfully, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's not fear as in, I'm terrified all the time, I'm going to lose my salvation. No, I have confidence. 1 John 5, 13, I'm to, I, I may know that I have eternal life, but I do these things with the fear, with the, the care, knowing when I obey God, I want to do it well. If there's anything in my life I want to do well, I want to serve the Lord well. Have you ever heard the term a false dichotomy? <laughs> I thought this was funny. That's a false dichotomy. Yes, but we have to embrace false dichotomies because the only alternative is cannibalism. That's also a false dichotomy. A false dichotomy is when you say there's only these two options. The best ice cream. What is the best ice cream? Is it chocolate or vanilla? What's the best ice cream? And of course, those are both wrong. It's mint chocolate chip. <laughs> That's a false dichotomy. There are false dichotomies we see some, sometimes in the way we think about the Lord. We might think, well, am I, should I be motivated by fear of the Lord? Should I be motivated by grace and the gratitude that comes? And what, here, what do we find? We find both of those right here in this text. Sometimes you see this idea that strict adherence to God's law um, is religion lacking the full heart. You know, this idea that if there's those people that are really real about religion, and then there's, and, and they're all wholehearted, but they're, you know, they, they don't really take the law of God, the commandments of God, that seriously. They just really like him. And then there's those people that just get caught up in the rules and caught up in trying to do the right. you got to understand God's will. And like I said, you can, you can major in minors and miss the point. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, because you... you um, tithe your mint and cumin. You go into your, your garden and take a sprig, a little piece of the, the mint and cumin and dill, and set it aside as a tithe, but you've neglected the weightier matters of justice and mercy and faithfulness. But then Jesus doesn't say, choose this one versus this one. He says, these you should have done while not neglecting the other. You should be doing both. But man, you really miss it when you miss mercy and justice and faithfulness and you're focusing so much on the law. Your relationship is with the commandment and not with the things the Lord wants, the Lord himself and the things he wants to teach you. So strict adherence to God's law is not religion lacking heart. Rather, the heart that is wholly committed to the Lord is a heart devoted to following only and exactly God's law. We need to understand that the heart 
of those people that I was bringing to you as examples, like, like David, like Jesus, like Paul. The heart of the person who is truly devoted to God is a heart that is devoted to doing his will. Not my will, but yours be done. And so we take it incredibly seriously. We need to teach our kids to take these things seriously. It matters. It matters what we do. Our choices matter. Our worship matters. Our our work, everything we do matters. And so we do these things because of who God is. And we know because of who he is that we're going to be blessed by doing the things that he wants us to do. The the book of Romans, I think, just pulls out Paul, especially in chapter 6 to 8. He just lifts up the story of the Exodus and lays it on top of our, our salvation. And he says, here is who you are. You are someone who used to be a slave. And now you've been set free. You remember what the Israelites wanted to do when they were set free and they were coming into the promised land? They kept talking about leeks and onions. And it was so great when we were treated like property and we were nothing. And they wanted to go back. And Paul says, you know, shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. You were once that person, but you died in your baptism. And you rose again and you're walking with Christ now. Is there... Is there something in your life that you're going back to slavery in? Maybe in your thinking, maybe in some habit or some behavior or some reaction, some relationship. Paul, the apostle, reminds us, you've been changed to walk with Jesus, to walk in the newness of life. Walk in that new life that we're going to have in eternity with God rather than going back to an old way of life that we had before we were set free from our slavery. And if you're not a Christian, you can become a Christian this morning. You can, you can have life, life now and life forever by coming forward and confessing Jesus as Lord and being baptized. If we can help you follow the Lord, please come forward while we stand and sing.